0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest, and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 43 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I sat down with Amanda Baldwin, the CEO of Supergoop. Supergoop is the first protective skincare brand that puts sunscreen at the forefront of everything, creating highly innovative, reef-safe, feel-good formulas that are developed for all skin tones. In this episode, Amanda shares with us her journey from growing up as a gymnast to starting her career in private equity, to transitioning into marketing and landing a job at Estee Lauder, to leading supergroup over the past four years, growing the company more than 10x and the team to over 50 people. She talks with us about finding and growing talent, how morning runs are some of her best strategy sessions, and how she thinks about board meetings. Tune in to hear all of this and more. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us an awesome review. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Amanda. Thank you so much for being on the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm super excited to hear your amazing career journey and becoming the CEO of Supergoop. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. So let's start from the very beginning childhood days. Let's talk about little Amanda. Where are you from originally?
1: Uh, born and raised New Yorker, Manhattanite. Many people um, are like, I've never met one of those before, but I it's definitely true. am. <laughs> rare breed, rare breed. Yes, Rare breed, rare breed. Very. Uh, it's it's in my blood. I love
0: this city so much. That's awesome. And so, what was it like growing up in the city? I feel like it must be chaotic. I mean, I live there, you know, in my twenties, so I feel like I have a sense. But as a kid growing up, that's I feel like you know people want to raise a kid in New York so that they're more cultured. Would you say that that's, uh, that's true and, and helpful?
1: Yeah, you know, I think what I always say to people is that when you grow up in New York, you just have an extraordinary exposure to so many different types of people. Um, yeah, truly to a lot of culture, like when we would go on, you know, an art outing uh, in fifth grade, it was, I'll never forget seeing the Matisse exhibit, um, you know, for the first time in, at MoMA. And, you know, these things that kind of imprint you. I think it's, it's a hard city to ever leave because of what you get used to experiencing. And, and the other thing, and I have a six-year-old and, and I'm raising him and, um, uh, you know, to be a New York kid is, is also just the perception of diversity and kind of the crossroads that is New York, I think is really special. And so the types of people that you end up meeting, becoming friends with, um, it's just extraordinary. I think it's a real sort of broadening of your horizons that I think sets you up for a certain viewpoint, I think, really going forward in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up on East End Avenue, which is this small uh, avenue all the way to the East River, which is actually quite quiet. So a lot of people think I grew up in the in the fray and a lot of noise, and it was actually kind of neighborhoody. Um and New York City when I was growing up was very different than it is well obviously now in the middle of covid but even you know even in its sort of quote unquote normal times uh, it was much smaller city. it was you know there wasn't a you know debury side was kind of the boundaries of my existence. so it's changed a lot and grown a lot um since I grew up and so it had a much smaller feel I think also um, when I was here, but both of my parents are from New York City and you know from families that have been here for a long time so. Um, we'll see if I ever leave. I keep trying, and totally
0: understand. it keeps pulling you back. <laughs> There's no reason to leave, you know. Um, At
1: some point we'll see.
0: Maybe change it up once in a while. Um, so what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid, being exposed to all these cool things? Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do when you were older? Yeah, you know, I've
1: always had a real love of consumer retail branding. And I do believe that if you think back to what you, whenever I get asked career advice, I tell people think about what you like to do when you were eight or nine before you knew what you should do or how much you get paid doing it. And what I wanted to do was design shop windows. So I always remember walking around New York City and thinking, you know, why is it that that store does well? And what is it about that brand? And what are the, and and so, I think I was interested in merchandising and product and branding before I really knew what that was. Um, yeah. So, that was the first job that I think I ever wanted um, was to sort of, I guess, be a merchant. I guess I didn't know what that was called at the time. Uh, you just like the windows I liked that you were the walking past. I thought it was advertising, it was marketing. Yeah. Um, you know, when I got to college, I started doing marketing for a lot of businesses that were trying to pitch to college students, again, without knowing what the words were. So, just instinctually. Mm-hmm.
0: And so as a kid, were there any early signs that kind of pointed to you as a leader or wanting to be in a leadership role? It's funny
1: that you ask that because I've always thought of myself as a really, I was a really shy kid, uh, that I was sort of, you know, definitely not the the loud one. I would kind of probably very bookwormy and, and nerdy <laughs> and would kind of stick to myself and do my work. So I don't think anybody necessarily thought that I would... Um, I certainly didn't think of myself as a CEO or going into business, but something that I did do a lot as a kid that I think now, um, you know, happy to dig into this one, but I was a gymnast Hmm. and I actually think that, that being a gymnast and, learning how to handle the spotlight it's a very you know it's a sport where you're very much on your own and out there and you have to live with whatever the move is that you make and if you fall flat on your face there's no one to blame but yourself right or, or fall off the beam up. or something yeah. i mean it's a dangerous yeah, sport yeah, I back up again and I, I now that i look back on it i think there was something ceo-ish in that um and this sort of um relentless practice, the kind of setting really big goals and not knowing really how you were going to get there, but just chipping away at at the time and, and really just not being afraid to fall flat on your face. Literally. Uh, It's a lot of, um, you know, it's probably not as glamorous as what most people think is being a CEO, but there was something in that, that I think, um, and then it was, you know, later on, I think probably when I got to college where probably some of those, those aspirations started to flourish.
0: So you went to college at Harvard, and then you got your MBA at Wharton. Um, What were some of your first jobs? Were they in college or high school time? Or tell us about some of those first jobs that you had. My my very first job was working at an art gallery. Um,
1: So I have a very creative side to me, and I love art and design and anything that's sort of aesthetically oriented. So um, I got a job in an ancient art gallery, and one of my favorite assignments was Um, there was I had to kind of sift through all these findings that had just been come into the gallery and catalog them and there are all these these ancient pieces of jewelry and um, gosh there was something kind of incredible about holding history in your hands Mm -hmm. um, that was you know and I was sort of interested in the business of aesthetics and and kind of what that was and honestly thought about you know if i if i get a second career i'm going to own a art gallery i'm not sure exactly how i'm going to pull this off but it's always been in the back of my mind of of wanting to get back to that so that was my first job um and then i had some good jobs in retail which have become like really important actually when i was interviewing to get into the beauty industry and out of finance the fact that i had worked in banana republic for the summer actually was one of my big calling cards, and i think a really good experience to you know on the stockroom floor and clean it up and get all the product organized and things like that. So those are some of the, the early ones, um, definitely, that I was doing sort of in high school.
0: Um, and in those early kind of jobs, what were some of the key takeaways or did you make any mistakes that you were able to learn from in those times? I think the biggest lesson that I learned that is sort of the advice I give to anyone starting out is
1: I was willing to do anything like literally anything. Um, And somebody would say, hey, Amanda, could you do this? And I just would throw myself at the opportunity to just be around an environment. And if that meant literally washing the walls and I had a job where I washed the walls, you know, bucket and pail and everything for a PR firm that was going to have an event that night. I just felt so fortunate to be there and to sort of just I was always listening to what was going on around me and trying to sort of soak it up as a sponge um and yeah I would just like I would take on whatever was thrown at me
0: why do you think that is where do you think that comes from I think my parents raised
1: me to sort of believe that you work hard for anything that you're gonna have the opportunity to have that nothing gets handed to you on a silver platter and so I think I expected that I've always expected that I never expected that I would just sort of walk in and get to do whatever I wanted. I expected that I'd have to pay my dues. So I think, I think that that really came from my parents and their attitude and kind of what they expected from me and how they raised me.
0: So when you had these jobs, um, where are we in that timeline of, were these in college? These were you're...
1: all pre pre college. Um, okay. once I got to college. I, you know i remember being very interested in building a resume um <laughs> and you know was started to have sort of an early interest um in the finance world so my my story in college and my kind of crazy thing which just shows you that you just never know what what door is going to open up for you is that um gymnastics had come to an end um i was definitely not good enough to be a college athlete harvard did not have a team mm-hmm. i was actually kind of grateful i think i knew that I needed to, probably that was not going to be my calling in life and I needed to find something else. But all of a sudden I had all this time on my hands. So I started going to all these information sessions at Harvard, trying to find, and I actually had an interest in journalism. Hmm. And by accident, I went to the business meeting. Um, I literally went into the wrong room. And there was something that happened in that room that changed the course of my life because we go back to this early interest in branding and selling and marketing. They talked about how you could sell advertisements for the newspaper. And I'm really dating myself now because yes, it was a printed newspaper mm-hmm. um, that you could, you could get this sort of early, it wasn't a job. I mean, you weren't paid to do it, but that, and there was, Something in that, that for some reason spoke to me. And I started on the business board of the Harvard Crimson as an advertising associate, um, I think is what I was called. And that changed the trajectory of my life because it had me learn that I could actually figure out a way to have this love of branding and marketing, like what that actually was um, as a career. And it also opened the door of my interest in finance and was, you know, the Crimson was actually this interesting way. Harvard didn't have anything pre-professional that you did academically, and I actually loved that. But a lot of people left the Crimson and they would go to Wall Street as sort of their training ground. And I didn't even know what that meant. Um, When I started, I didn't know what investment banking was. I had never opened Excel in my life. But because I started the Crimson, I kind of found myself in this um, opportunity um, and learned what that was and learned that I could kind of learn the basics of business by going to Wall Street. And that that opened the door in that path and I became an analyst at Goldman. And, and we can again get into kind of how that all unfolded, but it was honestly a mistake. Um, I walked into the wrong room and maybe if I walked in the right room I'd be a journalist
0: now. So that's crazy. That's pretty cool. That's very like serendipitous, you know that's that you're accidentally I think that there's I think that life and a career and a path is a little
1: bit of a combination of following your heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also just kind of opening yourself up to the opportunities. And I've really tried to live that through everything and, and, you know, have a big goal and have, you know, I've always wanted to, I guess I'm not always, since we're talking about my early, early life, but I've wanted to be a CEO for a really long time, but how to do that. I've really tried to kind of let the opportunities unfold before me and be open to what, what kind of all of a sudden falls in your path.
0: When did you realize you wanted to be a CEO? Where did that start? So after
1: after Harvard and after graduating, I, I did go to Goldman. Um I was an analyst um in the investment banking world, learned, you know, worked harder than I ever have in my life, um, learned more in two years. And I think, you know, if you work that many hours, you kind of crunch five years worth of learning into two. Um, and I then went from banking into private equity, um, was a pretty typical path. So at this point, those four years, I was very much doing the thing that was probably expected of me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, given my background and what I had the opportunity to do.
0: And I feel like this is what everyone from Harvard does. They like do. It's like this, was. Is that. And, what and it is? Things called like you can go work at Facebook or Google or Amazon. This okay.
1: When I said it. So it was like you went to Wall Street and you became an analyst at a bank, yeah. or you went to a consulting firm. Um, and I did my summer at Goldman and I love Goldman and I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't had that experience. Um, but I probably did it because it was the thing that I thought could be a building block to something Mm -hmm. else. Um, and I was like, well, if I really fall in love with this, but if you remember again, like there was this marketing creative side to me that wasn't necessarily part of the job description. Um, when I was working on wall street, um, when I was in private equity, um, I had, um, a wonderful experience because I was working all on consumer retail investing and that kind of allowed me to reconnect with my love of brands. Uh, and I remember um, we were doing an investment in a company called Phil Sanhuisen PDH and I was the analyst on the deal and I was building the model for when they bought Calvin Klein. And I... the model and i would do all of my work but where i really wanted to be was honestly with the creative director walking around and seeing what he was up to (laughs) uh and i remember going to my boss and sort of talking to him about how i was really interested in the quote-unquote other side of the table and him being really supportive of me replying to go and that's sort of what pivoted me to apply to go to business school and i did write my business school essay about how I wanted to be a beauty CEO one day. So it was more wow. from being around, being around all these CEOs and investing in companies and looking at them. And I think it's also, you know, for whatever it's worth, I think really good advice to look at the people that are several, you know, tiers or, you know, years advance of you and say, do I want to be my boss when I grow up? Like, is that the job I want? It's a really good, I think, um, gut check about, are you on the right path? and i wanted to be one of these ceos and there was something about that that i was really interested in and so he was really supportive of that and um you know the reason that i chose beauty was because i had been around a lot of different types of consumer businesses and i had learned the analytical side of me had figured out that beauty was actually a really great business that it combined my love of creativity with my love of a good spreadsheet and that this was a world where I could talk about the color yellow, um, but I could also put... To, I knew I had to find something that would allow somebody with a business school background, analytical background to be successful. That mm-hmm. um, There had to be a reason for the skills that I had. And I... Um, so yeah, that was my the little essay that I wrote that I should probably find one of the
0: <laughs> You <laughs> absolutely out. have uh, to find it. I want to hear it. I You know, all that stuff was on paper then. So right. I think I
1: printed it out somewhere. It's, you know, nothing is... I don't have any of my history because none of it's digital
0: that is so cool that you wrote an essay about wanting to be a beauty CEO and here you are beauty CEO <laughs> congratulations Where there's a well there's a way I guess <laughs> I know I know
1: enough work hard for enough um, I think anything is possible
0: so when you wrote that essay and you are graduating, you know, with your MBA and you're like, all right, I'm going to go be a CEO now. What what went through your head as to what is the path to get there from here? Yeah, really, really great question. Well, I, I knew that that it was going to be a long road
1: ahead of me. I think I was under no illusions that this would be something that I'd have to learn and work my way into. Um, I did think a lot about like, okay, who is at the top of a beauty organization, what is is the path that they um, have followed? And it was either marketing or sales. Uh, And I go back to the love of brand, um, my love of strategy. And that was really something in the beauty organizations that, you know, the marketing folks really kind of own the brand and and help build the brand and would set the strategy, figure out what the product was that they were launching. So I was like, oh, that, that sounds like something that I'd like to do. Um, so, I started interviewing for marketing roles in beauty companies. Um, and most people are like, What are you doing here? Um, you know, consumer has become a little bit more popular in terms of people coming out of business school. But for me, it was really hard. Um, most people looked at me and said, We don't really believe that, A, you have the skill set to do this. Most of the time, I didn't say that I had an MBA or I worked at Coleman. Most of the time I was talking about the Banana Republic job um, and the the newspaper ad selling. Um, It was really humbling. And I got a lucky break from a woman who I'm still very close with and is a mentor of mine who had... Gone to Wharton, um, and she gave me a summer job. And if it wasn't for her, you know, I might not be where I am today. So, do you think, think that was because of the Wharton connection, or what was it about? Absolutely, the... I think she kind of had the similar background, and she mm-hmm. knew that you could take that background and translate it. But I mm-hmm. do think that it is like a great piece of advice for people. Like finding people who've been on common paths mm-hmm. is often a great way to open doors because they understand what you're bringing to the table mm-hmm. in a way that that somebody who doesn't have your background, maybe needs a little bit more education and understanding doesn't mean they won't get there. But um, most of the times when I've had sort of a lucky break, it's because somebody sees in me something that maybe is a reflection of themselves. Yes. um, And they kind of understand that. Um, And, you know, I think that that was a really big opportunity for me and and never look back.
0: Hey guys, I want to tell you a little bit about a new report we're launching here at Future Commerce in partnership with Gladly called The New DIY. It's all about the new trend that has emerged around the passion economy and modern consumption, which begins with peer inspiration, continues with product education, and culminates into participation or an online purchase. The report covers how these trends start on social media, the importance of great customer experience across all brands, regardless of industry, and the implications this trend has on retailers. You can get the full report today over at futurecommerce.fm/the-new-diy. That's futurecommerce.fm/the-new-diy sounds like everybody else is kind of looking at your background saying oh you're in finance like what are you doing trying to no apply for a marketing job
1: <laughs> right so why, why do you want to leave PE why do you not? you know that that Aren't was you like, making oh, wasn't good money cool? <laughs> now everybody thinks that this is cool yeah. but um it just what it was not the path um I think I was one maybe one or two other people from my business school class who went in the direction I did and it was hard because it was it certainly was not the fanciest job or the highest paying or the one. Right. And, you know, and there was something in me that just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I kind of look back on it. And I'm like, I think I don't, I never thought of myself as as brave as maybe I was, but I, I just knew in my heart that this is what I wanted to do. Um, and somehow I decided to go for it. Um, and it, it's given me confidence since then to trust my gut. Um, mm-hmm. It was a huge pivot off of, yeah path that I would had been on that was super typical and like very easy to explain to people why I was doing it mm-hmm. this one took well, you know I guess I'll give myself a little bit of credit for having a little bit of guts to kind of go for it
0: I think it's a major pivot and maybe even a a, a pay haircut too um to go oh yes it was it
1: was you know <laughs> uh, but I don't know I've never done things for the money I do them for the joy of it so yeah
0: so how was your experience? Was it everything that you had hoped for when you were in, you know, this is at what, Estee Lauder? Estee Lauder.
1: It, it was, it is, um, you know, I I remember getting to my first week on the job at Clinique and saying to myself, I found my people, that there was something for the first time that I had done well in my either jobs. I worked hard and and I certainly had performed but I, it didn't, it didn't come to me as naturally. I think as like, again, you know, as a good gut check is like, I just felt like I was speaking a language that I, it was my native tongue. Um, and that I kind of just instinctively knew how to do it. Um, that it didn't seem so hard. Um, and, and that to me was a sign of like it making sense. Uh, and you know, I really just had an incredible experience and in, in my time at at Lauder and as well as at LVMH. Like I I learned from two of the brands that I think are, you know, true icons in the industry uh, and from people who are, you know, men and women who are icons in the industry. And that is just an unbelievable foundation, I think, to, I, I still draw on, you know, I have my inner, I have a whole roster of people in my head every day of like, oh, how would so-and-so handle this? How would so-and-so handle this? And just like learning leadership by just watching and doing and seeing so many different, so many different styles of people and Mm -hmm. having a collage of ways that I approach things that's pieced together from a lot of, a lot of people that I really admire.
0: So what are those key kind of takeaways from a leadership perspective when you've had all these great leaders in your life they all have their own different style can you name like 3 you know key things that you took away that you've incorporated into your own leadership style
1: Yeah I mean gosh there's dozens so I would say you know first and I guess no particular order but like first thing that comes to mind is just guts I think that the people that I work for we're all about seeing the future. And I think that like real leadership is about seeing the future, piecing together where the world is going and having, you know, being brave enough to kind of go for it. Um, And so that's one that I think, I think a lot about. Um, The second was just grace under pressure that there is always something going on that's not going right. There's always something that you're late on. There's always a product launch that's not behaving itself. There's always... Something that you have to deal with, and you don't get anywhere by being stressed out or being angry or you know not handling things um, in a professional manner that it's always you know, people look up to you that you, you know, you're, you're the calm, um, mm-hmm. and that you've got to reflect that. And, you know, that's not just for everybody else, but it's also for yourself. So I, I think this goes back to the gymnastics. Like I'm, I'm that way naturally. So that wasn't hard, but I think I learned how important that is. Right. You know, again, if you're like, have to be on a balance beam and you're nervous is all what, what you just kind of know how to push it aside and, and push through. Yeah, Um, you know, and I think I've, I've learned more and more over, over the years that like taking the time to invest in relationships, whether they are with internally, externally, I saw how incredibly valuable those are, um, that, that, that that's what makes the world go round. And it's also what makes it fun. I, I remember being in rooms and looking at, um, how people would interact. And again, like back to this sort of being a sponge. And I remember thinking, gosh, you know, how do they know each other so well? Why, you know, why is it this going so smoothly? They seem like they're really friends. And now it's dawned on me that I sit across the, um, the zoom or the table for friends all the time, people yeah. that I worked with, that I got to know that, you know, have been important in my life. And all of a sudden we're doing business together. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Um,
1: and that's like a wonderful feeling as well. So those are just a few that come to mind. And I mean, I could go on forever, um, with, with everything that I've learned from people that have come before me.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Building rapport, even if it takes, you know, time-wise, sometimes it can take a long time, you know, getting to know someone and building that relationship. And then there's the people that you meet and maybe just connect with kind of very, very quickly. I mean, I've been in a conversation before with someone and someone else was like oh my gosh how long have you known that person have you known them for years and I'm like no actually it's like the second time we've talked you know <laughs> because <laughs> because the rapport is there so quickly that you know you connect with someone and then it's just kind of that's uh you know yeah. I guess the beginning phases of you know building relationship but relationships yeah. are really important either way They're I'm really important and, and
1: some will come really easily mm-hmm. and the ones that I honestly value the most are the ones that maybe didn't come so easily where I right. wasn't necessarily coming from this you know there's some people that you're just like naturally gonna be friends with or you have a common background but some of the ones that i value the most were the ones that were we didn't really understand or maybe we were thrown into a tough situation and that's how you meet your meet somebody is in something that's gone wrong or whatever or somebody that's coming at um from a very different background from you i think those are the ones that I value the most um, yeah. because they're built on something that is is really deep and, and has taken a long time to cultivate. And I think it's something that I've really come to appreciate and, and think a lot about is that, you know, a team is really successful because of all the different kinds of voices in the room um, mm-hmm. and different sets of expertise and different viewpoints and different ways that people are looking at information. Um, and you know, something that I've really tried to build at Supergoop.
0: And so, speaking of SuperGoop, how did the opportunity to work at SuperGoop come along? A headhunter
1: call. Uh, back to my other motto, which is, you know, say yes to everything, build relationships. See the themes here. Yeah. Um, somebody that I had met, I want to say, eight or nine years before I got that phone call, and you know, I built a relationship with, and you know, then then the timing was right. Um, so, nothing more glamorous than that, but definitely a good story of, of always say yes to just getting to know people.
0: So, it sounds like a friend that you've known for a really long time said, hey, there's this open position for, I think it's president at the time at Supergoop, and that's how you kind of got in there and introduced it was a recruiter. So it was actually like oh, right. officially hired by the company. Um, yeah. So you knew that person, the headhunter,
1: for that long. I knew the headhunter. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Got it, it. it. Great story. Actually, his daughter and I had worked together. We had hit it off. We had a really successful business. She's like, You should meet my dad. And I was like, Oh, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And <laughs> we went to breakfast and lo and behold, here we are. That's
0: awesome. Very mm-hmm. cool. And so, you know, tell me about the first couple, you know, I guess you're president for four years. What was it like, you know, being president of a, you know, company like Supergoop?
1: Yeah. You know, I think my, my job over the course of of the last four years and and today as CEO has really been the same. Um, And it's really, you know, my, my role is to, I, I believe, you know, kind of bring the vision of our founder to life, to turn this dream of changing the way the world thinks about sunscreen um, that Holly had um, way back before it was cool to talk about sunscreen, to figure out how to turn that into a business strategy, uh, a product line, a marketing point of view, and to really build a team against it, um, how to raise capital for it, all the things that, again, kind of take a vision and make it real um to build a business that supports that vision so everything you know that that includes everything you can imagine in the business um and you know and new things every day we've grown you know exponentially over the past 4 years and so every day my job is a new challenge a new de- a department that we didn't even have <laughs> a week before all of a sudden we'll show up and there we go that's that's in the job description so um it's constantly changing it's constantly evolving and quite frankly, that's what keeps it interesting.
0: Right. And so you mentioned fundraising. I'm sure that was quite interesting. Can you tell us about how that went? Yeah. You know, I have a
1: friend who I went to some for, you know, I talked to, I tend to talk to a lot of people to get advice and learn from their experiences. And this friend who said to me, you know, Amanda, this is going to be really hard. And, you know, a lot of people are going to say no to you and it's going to be super humbling. And I remember thinking like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's that's just for you. Everybody's gonna say yes to us. Well, let me tell you that was not how that went down. Um, it was very hard. Uh, it was incredibly humbling. Um, it all turned out incredibly well. We had a lot of opportunity and a lot of people that were interested in the business, but there were also a lot of people that said no. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think what actually is okay about fundraising is like, it's about finding the right match. Um, and we have an incredible partner, um, we raised capital from a group called Encore Consumer and they've been extraordinary. And we have some other earlier stage investors who are in our business as well. Um, and we have just an incredible board and an incredible set of investors who supported us, but it was definitely one of the more intense periods of my time here at SuperGroup because I was also trying to run the business too. And it's not like that, that goes away, um, when you start fundraising
0: absolutely yeah i think a lot of people think fundraising it's like oh it was hard for you but for me what i'm doing <laughs> this is amazing you know
1: if i ever have to do it again in life i'll at least know what i'm getting myself into.
0: <laughs> that's awesome um so what are some of the core things can you speak to as like a leader at um, supergroup what are some of the core things that you've implemented over the past few years that have made a huge impact the number one thing is building the team
1: and building the culture that supports that team. It's the first thing I think about in the morning and the last thing I think about before I go to bed um, is people. Uh, And I had this wonderful head of HR when I was at Dior who always said, Amanda, it's all about the people. And I believed that. I really did. And I had my marketing team. um, I think we're probably nine or 10 people by the time I left LVMH. But I didn't understand it the way that I understand it now. Um, I think when you're in a young organization, you realize that that truly every single human.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: don't function without them. We don't function without their expertise. We don't function without um, without what they contribute every single day. And so I think finding talent um, and growing talent is the thing that is is beyond the most important to me. And I try and put, I even try, I will, and always have um, believe I have to put as much effort into that. That it's the it's the best use of my time. Um, and so that's really my number one thing. Um, number two is I think setting a vision and setting a strategy, right. And, and how do you create a very clear sense of what we're trying to accomplish every day? um, so that people really know, so that that talent has good direction. Um, and if I give it sort of a good end goal, um, and you have really talented people, they're going to figure out how to fill in, the spaces in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really the combination of that, but it is my responsibility to make sure that like, there's a very clear idea of what our goals are, um, and of what order of operations we're going to do things in. Um, and then also, you know, along the way, I also think of it as like sort of my job to clear the hurdles, to open the doors and clear the hurdles. So, you know, here we have a strategy. We've got really talented people. What do they need from me? How do I help right. them? How do I think about like, oh, okay, we're trying to accomplish this. I got to go figure out what those doors are and get them thrown open for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent a lot of time on that. And I spent a lot of time clearing out hurdles. Okay, here's a place where we're sort of stumbled and we we are not sure what to do. That's where I've got to put my energy. Um, so those are probably the things that that I think the most about. Um, and really thinking about the future and making sure that that my head is yes, I've got to focus on the day to day, but like those doors in our future, um, you know, you've always got to be six, 12, 24 months out, maybe even three years about like, what are you, what am I doing today? That's going to set us up for the future.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned finding and growing talent. So starting with finding talent, is there anything tactical, any advice that you could share on finding the right talent? What do you look for?
1: In every way, we found people through, like I said, you know, recruiters. Like the way it happened to me, sometimes they have some of the best rolodexes out there, and we mm-hmm. embrace that. Um, there's nothing like a referral um, from somebody internally or a friend. You know that those obviously have extraordinary value. Um, I think the other thing is like getting really clear about what makes somebody successful in your organization. Right? There's a skill set, but then there's also cultural fit. Um, and that's not about all being the same, but that's about like kind of being a, a good fit for the organization and how we operate and our, our cultural norms. And we, we actually have spent again, like as much time thinking, documenting, putting that down on paper, being like, what are the common threads that hold us all together in, in how we operate and what we value and getting really good at assessing people for that um because i think you know that especially in a young organization becomes really really important i don't care how talented somebody is if they're not you know super group we we put a lot of value on are you a good person and and that to me is is as important if not more important through the interview process is learning how to really evaluate how somebody's going to fit in and how they're going to behave in our organization
0: And when it comes to growing talent, um, mentoring them, you know, helping them, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way or things that you've implemented to help grow the talent?
1: I think really creating um, a space where people are encouraged to take risks or there's nothing wrong with failure that learning there's a premium put on learning, Mm -hmm. um, I think is really, really important, right? Because you don't, you don't grow and you don't learn unless you are given the freedom to go and do that. Um, I think, being in touch with what, what people want, I think is really, really important. Like we're not mind readers. So I think really being clear on like, what are people's aspirations and, and how do we help you grow towards them? Even though we're a small organization, that doesn't mean that there's not opportunities to try new things and learn new, learn new skill sets. So making sure we're spending, spending the time to really know what's important to people and, and really respecting the variety that that comes in, um, and trying to shape an experience that, really makes sense for the individual. Um, so it's a lot of just sort of listening um, and really just sort of saying, like trying to get in touch with what's important to people around you.
0: And what about board meetings? Can you give any advice around how to conduct a proper board meeting or any other you know, insights that you have with how those meetings go down?
1: Gosh, I'm not sure that I'm going to know all the like proper rules, but I will tell you what I say to our team when we're creating our board deck um, is that the board deck is for us, not for the board, that the board meeting is there to help us take a big step back, um, four times a year and say, so what, (laughs) what did we learn and where are we going? And that it's for us. Um, and I, and I think my board would be okay with me saying that because we, we usually have very productive meetings, but we, we do it because we, we we're driving what we need to know, um, and what we need advice on. And I think that you know, a, a great board is meant to give input, is meant that you to, you're me- I always say I look forward to our board meetings, that I want the input, I want the advice. So that's why we have to shape the materials that we present to sort of help us extract that advice from our board. Um, but I really try and use it as, this is our strategy session um, that we as a leadership go- team go through. Um, and then there's this board meeting that kind of caps it off. But the board meeting is, is an output. It's not the sole reason for all the work.
0: And what about time management? You know, obviously as a leader, managing your time is imperative and prioritizing. Do you, you know, what do you do? What does a day in the life of Amanda look like when you, you know, do you have blocks of time? Like morning, I do this, you know, no, after one o'clock no, I'm here. I've never been able to figure out and I know there are some people that on my team who do and kudos to them because <laughs> I think I'm at
1: here at the service of everybody else. So my life is a little bit dictated by what my team needs me for. Um and I found that like, probably some of my biggest strategic thinking, I wish I could tell people otherwise, it's not happening during the day, Monday through Friday. It's happening on a morning run. Um, I find that very effective to kind of let my brain wander and try and connect the dots. And it's happening sometimes when I'm like, okay, I need a Saturday to kind of go build a board deck and and it starts to sort of reveal itself. So I kind of think of myself during the day as it's, you know, go back to that, what doors am I opening? What hurdles am I sort of clearing the way on. That's really what I need to spend my time on. Um, I have a crazy spreadsheet that, it, you know, people would be horrified if they saw, that um, kind of keeps everything in my own head, but it's definitely not a system that I would recommend to anybody. Um, it seems to work for me, but, um, you know, I, I think I, I try and I do try and think that there is a balance, um, between, thinking about what needs to be dealt with in the moment and what needs to be, um, dealt with going forward. The one place I will always hundred percent prioritize is anytime I'm hiring for somebody, I, that is always the number one thing on my list because if, until I hire that person, I haven't solved whatever problem I'm trying to solve. And so it's an easy thing to push off because it's not feeling in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've learned that like that is always my number one thing is do I have an interview? Do I have to talk to somebody? Do I need to hire somebody? Am I putting that investment for me? That's always the top of the list no matter what.
0: Awesome. And what about um, COVID? Obviously big year last year, COVID. Um, How did COVID affect the business?
1: You know, look, we're, we are incredibly fortunate in that the sun's still up Mm -hmm. um, that you still need SPF every single day that we have a brand that represents optimism and positivity um, and that the world needs that. So, you know, it's incredibly humbling and and I don't take for granted that we got lucky in that respect. Our team also worked incredibly hard to take that opportunity and make sure that we made the most of it. So, um, you know, we had a good year last year. We're, we're very lucky. We accomplished a lot of things we had set out to do. Um, we had a great new product launch and a product called glow screen. We launched around the world, um, our DTC business was through the roof. We saw great growth at Sephora. Like we, we are the lucky ones. Um, and we're, you know, looking forward and and trying to stay focused on, on what we can do and what we can control. Um, the hardest part is not being together. Um, I love every single person on our teams, about 15 of whom I've never met in person, which is kind of shocking because we've hired a lot of new people. And, and that's the thing that I guess, weighs on me is that I, you know, it's it's hard to do everything over Zoom, but we're making the most of it.
0: How big is the team now? We're close to 50 people. Nice. And so tell us about one of your most challenging moments as a leader. And how did you overcome it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I probably have been very fortunate in that, like, I don't, process most things as challenges. (laughs) I process most things as things to be dealt with. um, And there there are millions of them every day, right? Things that don't go according to plan, um, challenges that you face. But I, you know, I I have a hard time thinking of any of them that way. Um, I don't tend to regret anything. Um, I tend to think that everything happened for a reason. And even if it was the biggest kind of just speed, I look at everything as a speed bump. It's usually what I call them, yeah. um, so it, you know I, I don't need to avoid the question. it's just like i don't I don't look at anything that way um, and so like my maybe it's my brain just kind of doesn't compute for it. were there <laughs> any
0: bigger than usual speed bumps?
1: <laughs> oh. it was a bigger than usual speed bump, you know, like there's yeah. no doubt about that, right? The last year has been really hard um and humbling, but I, I, I remain, it's just sort of, I remember feeling in, it was probably mid April. Um, we were about a month into it and I was like, okay, Amanda, you're, you know, we can see the light. We have enough cash. We're going to get through this. Like this business is going to survive. Um, and you can either decide to survive or you can decide to thrive.
0: And I remember,
1: and I was like back to these morning runs and walks. And I was like, I'm going to I'm going to figure out how we're going to thrive and we're going to take this and we're going to make the most of it. And we're going to, you know, I love a good strategic opportunity. And so I was like, okay, the world's going to change. It's gonna be a whole new strategy. Like let's have some fun with this. And probably a week later, we had a brainstorming where teams started to think about like, how did my world change? What, what can I do differently? What do I want to do differently? And so that's, that's how we handled a really very large speed bump.
0: Nice. So those morning runs, they sound pretty, uh, important. Yeah, they, they are. They morning runs, morning walks. Like, you know, it's kind of how I try and
1: clear my head uh, mm-hmm. for sure. It was definitely the thing that kept me going through lockdown is yeah. every morning without fail. I was out the door. <laughs> um, I told my husband, I was like, there's no way, like, I'm not going to get through this if you don't let me out the door. And, um, so i <laughs> just, just go rain or shine with some fresh air unplug for a second so you can hear. Uh, Yeah. I tend not, I tend not to listen to anything. I used to listen to music and podcasts and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. I found that actually listen, not, there's so much that comes at you every day. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of information, but taking that, you know, i don't, don't think anything marathon here, you know, 30, 40 minutes to just let my brain wander. I think you, your, your synapses can do some fun things and all of a sudden something you've been trying to figure out hits you.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, you just got the title CEO in January. Congratulations on your promotion. Um, what kind of plans or what kind of makes the role different for you from president to CEO? What does that really mean?
1: I think for, for Holly and I, it was, you know, kind of an alignment around how do each of us spend our time. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have an incredibly strong relationship that is just beyond valuable to me. It's so precious to me, this brand and, and what she's trying to create and to sort of have her say like, okay, I'm going to hand this over to you officially, officially, officially means, um, you know, I think it probably, is more of something from the outside world that is like you know. Look for. We live in a world in which being a, a female CEO is, is certainly a, an accomplishment that I'm very proud of, and and I and I sort of think more about like okay, what what does this mean for me now professionally? As I think outside of of SuperGroup, it hasn't changed my job in SuperGroup, but you know, does it open up different opportunities for me to give back to others that are you know hopefully going to follow in my footsteps and you know, so I'm still figuring it out. I it hasn't it hasn't really changed my life um in the I'm last I'm curious year. if you Other ever had nice feeling of kind of accomplishing something that you set out to do.
0: I'm just but, so curious. Did you ever tell her like, "So, by the way, I kind of been dreaming about being a beauty CEO for a really long time now." <laughs> Did you yeah, ever was that ever a conversation? No,
1: that was never, you know, Holly and I have like a very special kind of I guess un
0: unsaid understanding of life and somehow these things just kind of happen for us. So Cool. I feel like I would have been that person. I would have been like, you know what, listen, I really have been wanting for a long time. Like it's my goal. It's like I gotta tell them my, you know, dream or goal so that it could happen. Um, and I feel like sometimes that's that can be really helpful or maybe not at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, as I said, like I love it on my team when people come and say, like, I'm interested in this. I want to yes. do that. Like otherwise I can't make it happen. Them, exactly.
0: Right? Interesting. So what's the biggest thing you've learned about being a CEO. Is there any kind of takeaways yet? Or is it still too early?
1: Um, you know, I don't think the lessons are any different than, than what I had, um, than what I was sharing before. Um, you know, I, I think it's something that I hope that the world has, has, I think through the last year realized that the CEOs, we don't have all the answers. Um, we certainly have a little bit more experience sometimes, um, the time and the obligation to think about what the answers are, but I think that I think that the world now understands that, you know. If I hope that a great the definition of a great CEO is also sort of knowing when you don't know, um, and and being okay with that, and and sort of um, thinking through who might know the answer. Um, that's something that I really embrace, um, you know, as I take this on and as I guide our organization through a step change in its growth to places that it's never been before that the world's never been before. Like, I don't know <laughs> what the
0: future holds. Um, and becoming CEO did not change that. So. What's something right, you think yeah. most people don't know about being CEO? Like, are there assumptions about the job? You Some of it is, I think they think, you know,
1: all the answers um, yeah, so sorry to on that.
0: Um, I think the thing that,
1: um, people don't talk a lot about, but I think is very true is that, um, you know, it can be a little lonely, um, like you kind of, um, and I mean that in not a negative way, but just sort of, um, you know, when I think back over my career, some of the, the, the most precious friends that I have in the world are people who are my colleagues, um, and they were my peers and I'm still like super close to them. Now, most of the time, my, my peers live outside my organization. Um, and I have found an incredible network of people who are sitting in my shoes and other organizations, but that's different, right? You know, it, it's sort of when the buck stops with you, um, this is a tremendous amount of responsibility and I I embrace it. I love it. I wouldn't trade it for the world,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but, it, but it sits with you always. Um, you know, when you're in my shoes, you don't go home at night and have you know, put down your laptop and stop thinking about it or stop caring about the people or stop caring about the business that it is a 24 seven job. It doesn't mean you're working 24 seven, but you care about it 24 seven. And yeah, you know, I think that that's a, you know, that, that comes with the territory. I don't shirk that responsibility at all. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know that that goes talked about a lot.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's kind of the whole, you know, well, pre-COVID, going out to drinks with all your colleagues after work, you know, type of situation is a little bit different when you're in a in such a high leadership position. Um, it's uh, harder to do. I think those kind of things, um, like you said, it's a little lonely, but not in a bad way. It's just how it is. With the job. It's, it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so before we wrap up here, um, I'd love to get some idea into what's coming up for this year. Is there anything that we can expect from Supergroup this year? Lots of things.
1: Um, uh, we always start with product in this organization. So we just launched an entirely new first to the universe product called Daily Dose, which combines vitamin C with SPF. That has been, you know, a, a runaway success for us. We're very excited about that. We have a lot of new innovation coming out in March. So keep your eyes out. Well, um, cool. we're always going to go where no SPF has gone before. We have some really exciting marketing plans, um, new places in the globe where you're going to be able to buy us. So, you know, there's we're kind of trying to hit on, on all cylinders always. Um,
0: and yeah, so we're really excited about, um,
1: about the future.
0: Great. And last but not least, you know, you've shared a lot of great insight and advice. Do you have any final words of advice for aspiring leaders out there that are tuning in? Work hard. think It doesn't go said enough.
1: Um, it doesn't happen overnight. Know what you want. Don't be afraid to ask for it, but you know, it takes time. And the other one that I will always say is, you know, follow your heart. It never lies. It's it's the thing that always guides me. It's the thing that I try and always remember. Um, and being nice is never overrated. Be a good person. Um, it's just, it's the only way to do things. So I'll I'll leave with that.
0: <laughs> Those are all great. Really good points. Um, well, thank you so much, Amanda, for being on the show today. It was a wonderful hearing your story. I really appreciate your time. Thank you.